If you weren't here last week, you're wondering why I'm here. Uh, if you were here last week, you remember that Pastor Trent is actually preaching at a homecoming service today. Um, so I am uh, graciously filling in and I appreciate the opportunity that he gave me to fill in. Do we have any parade lovers here? Okay, I see two. Okay, then this is going to be a really weird analogy. Um, if you've ever... Pretend like you like parades. Uh, if you live in China Grove, you may hate parades. But uh, but when parades come through town, there is an air of anticipation that takes place. Now, I remember when I was a little bit younger and when Clayton and Gracie were very young, we did not get there right at the time the parade started. Because what happens when you get there right at the time the parade starts? Well, you missed the start of the parade for one thing. Because you can't find a parking place. But you not only can't find a parking place, you can't find a place to sit or stand or whatever the scenario may be. So when parades happen, we usually get there early because we want a good seat. Now, there's always that one person that gets volunteered for about 20 people that they have to go and lay out the blankets or lay out the chairs. And then they have to sit there to make sure nobody moves the blankets or steals the chairs. So there's a there's an air of excitement that tends to come with parades. Now, what happens when it gets closer and closer to the time for the parade to start? What do kids usually do? They get a little more fidgety. They get a little more antsy. They keep looking down the road, waiting to see the siren. I see the police cars and hear the sirens. And we've got those street vendors, right? They're walking up and down the road selling those wonderful cotton candies, and those wonderful toys that you just know will last at least until the end of the parade, right? That's what the hope is, because that's about how long they last. But when the parade starts, there's an excitement, because as soon as they hear the police car hit the siren, what happens to the kids? They jump up and down, they get excited, they get loud, they start bouncing up and down. I hear it, I hear it. And if you look the other way, you'll see all the kids... Make a funnel in the road because they all want to see it, right? So when the parade starts, there is this level of excitement, at least by the kids. Now, all of us go to parades for various reasons. Some of us are there because of we like to see the the cars. Some of us are there because we like to see the little monkeys driving around in Uh, go-karts. There's all kind of reasons. We're there to see people. We're there to see friends. But one thing is for sure that when a parade happens, there is a level of excitement that begins to take place. And it also has a way of bringing people together. Sometimes we interact with people that we only see at the parades. But there's just something about parades. Today we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture for one of the most well-known parades and maybe one of the most important parades that ever happened in scripture. If you'll take your Bibles and join me in Luke chapter 19. That's where we're going to be today. And as you're finding your way there, I want to set the context for you and set the stage for what is taking place. Jesus is making his final entry into Jerusalem. It is approaching his crucifixion. It is the week before his crucifixion. And if you remember that prior to him going, he had sent two of his disciples out to go and to find a donkey. He told them exactly where to go. And he told them exactly what to get. And they said, if the man asks you about it, tell him the Lord is in need of it. 
And just as Jesus had said, they went, they got the donkey and they brought it back to Jesus. And Jesus has uh, mounted the donkey and he has began his entry into Jerusalem. So it is with that that we read our passage this morning. Luke chapter 19 and if you will find verse 36 is where we're going to be starting. Verses 36 through 44 is what we'll be reading. And as he, this Jesus, was going, they were spreading their garments in the road. And as he was now approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in earth and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, Teacher or Master, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, talking about the people, the stones that you are standing on will cry out. And when he approached, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the day shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank upon you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Now when Jesus made his entry into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, it fulfilled the prophecy from Zechariah 9, 9 which says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. So as we look at these, our passage in Luke today, I want you to put on, as Trent has said before, your sanctified imagination, because I want you To put yourself in the scene. You know, oftentimes when we read scripture, we don't visualize what is taking place. We kind of read it and we don't set ourselves in the scene. So this morning, I want you to set yourself in the scene of what is taking place. Now, the passage we read is a familiar passage. Most of the time, we read that passage on Palm Sunday. It's Jesus' triumphant entry. I can assure you, next week is not Easter. So, but this passage has so much for us to learn about Christ. So I want you to put on that, that imagination and place yourself there. Because we're going to be looking at three different groups of people or three different faces in the crowd. And the first crowd I want to introduce to you is those that believed in Jesus. Those that believed in Jesus. You see, we read in verse 37 That there was a lot of people, a multitude of disciples. Now this was not just the twelve. This was a lot of the the followers of Jesus that believed in him. They were celebrating. They were chanting shouts of joy. This was a, a triumphant moment for them because Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. This was a time for celebration. And this was not just a couple of people. This was a lot of people. And just like crowds... When there's a group of people together, it typically draws attention, right? If if you're walking down Main Street and you see a couple people, not a big deal. If you see like 500 people sitting there, 
There's going to be some questions and there's going to be some calls for concern. You may even pick up the phone and call the cops and say, hey, you might just want to go look at what's going on. So there was a lot of people in here and there was a, a calls for concern and there was some attention that were being drawn. But notice in verse 37 what it said about those that believed in Jesus. It says that they believed in Jesus, the multitude of disciples, because they had what? Seen the miracles that he had performed. Now, I'm sure if we saw Jesus perform a lot of miracles, it would, it would give us some, some heightened awareness as well. And there's a good chance we would follow along because we'd want to see what he's going to do next. So the question that we have to ask is, are these really true believers? Or are these believers that just want to see what Jesus can do? What Jesus can do for them? I am sure that there were some there that were true believers in Jesus. But scripture clearly tells us that there were those there that only believed in him and were only following him because of what he did. And I think that's a very important caution for us. Is that we are not to follow Jesus because of what he can do for us. It's because of what he has done for us on the cross. That is why we follow Jesus. Because of who he is. Because of his holiness. So as, as this group of people are there. As they are following him. Have you ever saw a group of people, maybe at a sporting event or maybe somewhere else, where it seems like the crowd just kind of feeds on each other. When, when you know, as the excitement begins to build, other people begin to kind of get excited too. And before long, the, this momentum begins to develop. And I imagine that there's a lot of that that is beginning to take place here. That people are excited, so more people get excited. If you want to see a church get excited, have, a, have some people get excited in church. And then what happens is that momentum is contagious. Graham will be the first to tell you. If he is up here leading music and all of you guys look like a bunch of stiff necks, it is incredibly difficult to do that. But as more people begin engaged, as more people begin to worship, the, 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 the way that that encourages and uplifts is amazing. The same with a, a preacher speaking. If people are sleeping out there, it's kind of hard to get people engaged. No offense, Reed. Um, it, it's kind of an amazing thing. Reed and I had an inside joke before I started. That's why I picked on him. So uh, he, he actually wasn't sleeping. I, I, but but as as the people are coming together and as people are are celebrating, I want you to listen to John's account of what takes place in John chapter twelve. Uh, John records this for us, verses 17 through 19. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead because that had happened just prior to his entry. They had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone out against him. People were coming to Jesus because he had raised Lazarus. Now, again, that's a pretty amazing thing to watch. That's a pretty exciting thing to see. But are they coming to Jesus for the wrong reasons? 
And that's a question that we have to ask. Were they coming to Jesus for the wrong reasons? But as they come to, as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, notice the chance. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest, which is they are quoting the messianic Psalm, uh, Psalm 118. So they are quoting scripture back to Jesus, which is what we do when we pray and when we sing, right? We are singing scripture back to Jesus. Do you remember in the early part of Luke chapter 2, when the announcement of Jesus' birth. Remember the angels had come to the shepherds and the, the, the shepherds were kind of afraid. But do you remember what the angels told them? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. But notice here that it doesn't say peace on earth. It says peace where? In heaven. Because you see... As they are ushering Christ to his crucifixion, peace is no longer on earth. Warren Wiersbe actually says it this way. He says, there would be no peace on earth, but thanks to Christ's work on the cross, there is peace with God in heaven. Now, this introduces us to our second group of people. And that is those that were against Jesus. From the time that Jesus began his earthly ministry, the Pharisees were out to get him. They were trying to destroy him. They were trying to capture him. They were trying to get rid of him. I want you to read, or I want you to, I want you to listen to and read for yourself John chapter 11, verses 45 through 48. Many, therefore, of the Jews who had come to Mary, and this is at the uh, when Lazarus was raised from the dead and beheld what he had done, that's Christ, had risen Lazarus from the dead. They believed in him, but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. You got some tattletales here. They were not happy with what Jesus was doing. So they went and told the Pharisees. And if we continue reading, we'll find that the Pharisees began to make plots and says, if anybody knows where they can find Jesus, come and tell us because we're going to arrest him. We're going to get rid of him. So in the midst of this crowd of people are the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees were concerned not because necessarily of Jesus's entry. But they were concerned that they were going to draw the attention of the Romans. Because if they drew the attention of the Romans, the Romans were going to come and take over. And their own position was going to be in jeopardy. So the Pharisees directly asked Jesus in our passage. In verse 39 of chapter Luke 19, they say this. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And in the Amplified it says, For shouting these messianic praises. Now this is an interesting thing. Did the disciples like Jesus? No. But yet they're talking to him. But their their comment was. Rebuke these people. Who are singing praises to your name. As being the Messiah. Now why would that give them cause for concern? Well. What we just saw. In John. Was they were concerned for the Romans. They were concerned that they, the Romans were going to come in and 
take over everything. They were going to take away the power that the Pharisees had actually had in the temple. Not only their their position, but their rule over the religious establishment was going to be totally disintegrated. They were concerned. So they go to Jesus and say, rebuke them. Now, were the Pharisees known to trap Jesus, to try to trap Jesus? They tried to trap him all the time. And this is a subtle, indirect trap that they were trying to set for Jesus. Because had Jesus rebuked the people and said, I am not, or quiet down, stop calling me the Messiah, the Pharisees now had ammunition. Jesus himself said he was not the Messiah because he told the people to quit calling him that. But if he didn't quiet them, he is confirming that he is the Messiah. So Jesus, being Jesus and doing what he does... He says, I'm not going to tell them to be quiet because if I did, the very stones that you're standing on will cry out in praise. And I think that's actually an object lesson for us. That in the midst of what is going on, in the midst of everything that is around us, what are we to do? We are to praise God for who he is. We are to praise God for who he is. In John chapter 12... Verses 20 through 23, we see this. Jesus has entered Jerusalem. He says, now there were certain Greeks among those who were going to worship at the feast. And that's the Passover. They had gone to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask, we want to see Jesus. So Philip and Andrew came to Jesus. And Jesus answered, saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He was going to the cross. It was time for him to be glorified. So we've got this, this tension that is building between the Pharisees. We've got this, this um, parade that's going on. You see, when the Pharisees tell Jesus to rebuke them, they are wanting him to be quiet. They are not wanting this to happen. But Jesus doesn't. And that should actually bring us comfort. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 46... Verses 9 and 10. For I am God, there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall not stand. And I love that last part. We were actually talking about this in Sunday school this morning. I will accomplish my purposes. What can thwart the purposes of God? Nothing. Nothing can stop God. And that should bring us comfort in the times that we find ourselves in. But that brings us to our last group of people. There was a lot of people in Jerusalem. There was a lot of things that were going on. It was the Passover celebration. But our third group of people is somewhat sad. Our third group of people are those that were in Jerusalem. Those that were in Jerusalem. Matthew's account says this in Matthew chapter 21. And when he, that's Jesus, entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. From Nazareth of Galilee. 
They were in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. Were they not aware of what the Passover celebration was about? Remember, the Passover was a celebration of when God delivered his people from slavery back in Exodus. They were slaves in Egypt. And remember, the tenth plague was the plague, the death of the firstborn. And if you remember, God had told them, if you slaughter a spotless lamb and put the blood over the doorpost, I will pass over them. Well, now the spotless lamb was entering Jerusalem and they were unaware. They didn't know who he was. Had they forgotten what the Passover celebration was about? Did they even know what the Passover celebration was about? I imagine that there was people in that crowd that had gone to the Passover celebration year after year after year only because their mom and dad took them. I imagine there was people that had gone to the Passover celebration just because their friend brought them. What does that sound like? Sounds a lot like church, doesn't it? We come because it's Sunday and we're supposed to. We come because our mamas and our daddies brought us. We come because a friend invited us. We come because we've always come. But are we missing the point of why we're actually here? Are we missing the point of why we come and sing? You see, we've looked at three groups of people. We've looked at those that believed in Jesus. We looked at those that were against Jesus. We looked at those that were in Jerusalem. It seems like there's a face that's missing that we haven't even talked about. And it is. And that's the face that's easy to overlook. And that is the face of Christ. Because if you are not paying attention to verse 41, you'll miss it. And when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept. Now, one of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture is one that the RA is the first one they quote when, or memorize when they have to memorize Bible verses. And that is what? Jesus wept. But you see, this is a different type of weeping here. You see, when Jesus wept at the tombs of the tomb of Lazarus, it was a, a crying. The weeping that is mentioned here in the Greek is a gut-wrenching, loud, wailing, sobbing to the core of who you are type of weeping. It's not one of those that you try to keep in and make a long face to try to keep the tears from flowing. This is one of those slobbering, eye-flooding, loud, uncontrollable weeping that has taken place. But did you see it? Did you notice it? Nobody acknowledges his broken heart. Nobody acknowledges his pain. Nobody asks what's wrong. And according to scripture, nobody says anything to him. Nobody asks why. Nobody even seems to see his face at all. You know, I, I had tried to, try to imagine that if this was a movie scene, all of the crowd would have been blurred out. And Jesus is in clear focus. All the other sounds are muffled, kind of like the Charlie Brown 
teacher voice. But yet, we hear Jesus in 4K, crystal clear of what is going on. But yet, nobody seems to notice. Had the role that Jesus, had, had the role that they wanted Jesus to feel become more important than who Jesus actually was. They had come to him with their questions. They had come to him with their hunger. They had come to him for healing. They were now coming to him to be delivered from Roman rule. But verse 44 tells us that he was there and they did not recognize that God had visited. They didn't recognize Jesus before it was too late. Jesus' time on earth was coming to an end. While they knew Jesus for what he did, they missed who he was. Indirectly, Jesus was just a face in the crowd. So I have to ask the question, who is Jesus to you? You see, Jesus was making a triumphal entry. He came, he gave up his throne in heaven to come and live as one of us, as a human. He was the spotless, sinless, perfect son of God. He lived the perfect life. He walked and talked with those around him. He was the Messiah. But he came for one purpose and one purpose only. And that was to die on the cross. To pay the penalty for my sin. To pay the penalty for your sin. Because you see, there's nothing that you can do to take that away. There's no penalty. I mean, there's no uh, actions that you can take to take away the penalty of sin. You cannot be good enough. You cannot go to church often enough. You cannot give enough money. Nothing that you can do can take away that sin. But Christ came and gave his very life as payment for that sin. Christ came to die on the cross. He came to give everything that he had. And that was his very life. Just like the followers in the parade who were lavishing praises on Jesus. Some were doing it because of what Jesus could do. Others because of who he was. I want you to hear me very clearly. If you have not made the personal decision to follow Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior, then Jesus Christ is just another face in the crowd to you as well. Because you see, while Jesus came to pay that penalty of death on the cross, by us accepting Christ as Lord and Savior, admitting that we are a sinner separated from him by our sin, we have missed the mark of perfection that he has set. By us placing our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we can have a personal relationship with the living God. And there is nothing that is more filling on this earth than that. There is nothing that gives hope more than that. It is through the finished work of Christ on the cross that a way was made. You know, I want to connect back last week to Pastor Trent's message of pain and trials. Because he was talking about James, the brother of Jesus, who did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah until much later. And Pastor Trent had shared last week how uh, James became known as one who prayed and one who praised who the Messiah 
is. You see, we come here week after week and we sing praises. We come here week after week and we lift our hands. My prayer is that we do it in acknowledgement of who Jesus is and because of what he has done on the cross. I want to close with this quote. Pastor Daniel Henderson in his book, Transforming Prayer, says this. Worship-based prayer, and I would also add the word praise, seeks the face of God before the hand of God. God's face is the essence of who he is. God's hand is the blessing of what he does. God's face represents his person and his presence. God's hand expresses his provision for needs in our lives. I have learned that if all we ever do is seek God's hand, We miss his face. But if we seek his face, he will be glad. To open his hand and satisfy the deepest desires of our heart. Don't let Jesus be another face in your crowd. Instead, make Jesus the focus of all that you do and all that you are. Pursue him and make much of his name. Let's stand in prayer. Most gracious God, forgive us for making you another face in the crowd. Dear God, help us to seek your face and not your hand. Dear God, I pray that if there is one here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today will be the day. I pray that if there is one here today that has fallen away from you and has not been living the, the life that you have called each of us to live, I pray that today is the day that they repent. Dear God, I pray that today, if we have come and sing praises to your name, and they have been empty praises because we really just want something from you, I pray that you will forgive us. Dear God, thank you for the finished work of Christ on the cross. Thank you that a way was made for redemption. Dear God, we love you with all that we could possibly possess. Help us to live every single day. 100% devoted to you, seeking to make much of your name. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that the Lord has spoke to your heart and has blessed you through this message. If you would like more information about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please reach out to us at one of the following locations. You can visit us online at chinagrovefbc.com slash salvation or check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash chinagrovefbc. Thank you and have a blessed rest of the day.